the gift of persecution. Matthew chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse number 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they will revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The gift of persecution. You may have noticed, maybe not, that being a Christian isn't popular today. Maybe it's just me. But embracing or promoting a biblical Christian view of the world places you in a minority position. That wasn't the case long ago. Being a Christian or having Christian values, Christian values, the basic ones, were honored. Basic Christian values were respected. Basic Christian values were even admired. Not today. We can review and debate the core reasons, but the present reality remains, regardless of how we got here. And I'm not looking today to primarily refer to specific social issues, like abortion or same-sex marriage or gender identity. Most of you know my clear feelings on those things. My focus today is the basic message of the gospel. Everyone, everyone needs a savior. Bottom line, everyone needs a savior, and Jesus Christ is the only one. People today reject the fundamental foundational message of the cross. Paul told the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. That phrase in Greek for stumbling block literally means a scandal or an offense. And to our culture today, the gospel is offensive. It is an offensive piece of information. Our culture today finds the gospel scandalous. Our culture today finds people who embrace the gospel, who look to walk and live by the gospel, as dangerous. Jesus' message is not what people want to hear today. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. People don't want to hear that today. They don't want to hear deny yourself. They want to be told they're okay. They want to be told anything they choose to embrace, any philosophy they choose to walk after, anything they determine in that moment or feel is right, they want to be told they're okay. Few are willing to be confronted, let alone corrected. Now, the contrast between the gospel message, the message of the Bible, and the basic message of our society today, it invites 
persecution. When we live the gospel life, we become, like it or not, this world's mirror. A mirror to people's lives and the things they claim to embrace. And that leaves the world with two choices when they see the mirror. To accept the truth of the mirror and to begin to adjust and change their lives in accordance with the mirror or to throw rocks at the mirror. And we can get an idea of what most of the world has chosen to do. If they can destroy the mirror, and if not destroy it, discredit the mirror, at the very least, dismiss the mirror, they won't have to face the truth that it reveals. You know what it's like looking in a mirror when you've had a bad hair day? And it just isn't working. And you go up to someone and say, how's my hair look? And they say, gorgeous. And you just look at, you, look at them and you think all kinds of evil things to say to them because they're lying. They're not embracing the truth that you saw in the mirror. Why are Christians persecuted today? Because we threaten the world's values. We come against the world's self-image and ideas of self-authority. That's why we're persecuted. But how are we persecuted? Matthew chapter uh, 5 verse 11 gives us three, uh, three areas and highlights three. First, he's, uh, Jesus says, when they revile you. That word revile from Greek translates and it means unjust reproach or unbraid to take apart. Or what is the popular phrase today? To deconstruct. They will take our truths and pull them apart. Twist our words and make them say something we never intended them to say. I stand against many things, many philosophies. I don't hate anyone. But they will say, well, if you believe that, why do you hate me? I don't hate you. That's not what I'm going for. We stand against sin. We don't hate anybody. One of the biggest issues on college campuses today is this notion of faith deconstruction. To be able to come into the lives of young adults and deconstruct their faith at this point after they, quote unquote, are leaving their home. To help young, young adult Christians to pull apart and then be, hopefully be able to see how little sense it makes when filtered through the world's mindset. This is done in the hopes that they will have people, especially young people, see that the gospel doesn't make any sense to the world. This is not new. This began centuries ago, but we have it in our lifetime with this whole nonsense called evolution. It was an effort to deconstruct the way God saw creation. Today we see it in other areas, such as gender identity, that gender is fluid. It's about how I feel. So if I feel one day today in a different way tomorrow, it's all about how I feel. Since when did how I feel become the altar upon which we worship? Our faith gets called many things today. I've had people tell me my faith is, or what I say about things is hate speech. Our beliefs are called 
uneducated. And there are those who believe, and I've, it's not just news reports, I've heard people tell me this directly. They believe that basic biblical Christianity is the greatest threat to freedom and peace in our nation. If your peace is based on lies, we should threaten it. If your peace is based on what the enemy wants the world to look like, then we need to stand, and that standing is going to invite persecution. So the first area that Jesus highlighted said, when they will revile you. Then he says, and they will persecute you, in verse 11. And let's be clear. Persecution can take many forms, and we're going to talk about many of them today. And we're discussing them. But when a first century Christian living in the Roman Empire heard the word persecution, a single image came to mind, and it was physical persecution. They were thinking immediately about physical mistreatment. Christians have suffered physically in every age since Jesus' time. Many suffer today. Many are in prison today. Many are killed today simply because they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we've been blessed in the Western world. This has not been the case yet so far. But things are changing. In our nation, churches are vandalized today. It's become, especially since recent things have come into the news, Christian pregnancy centers are attacked and firebombed. It can get worse, and the reality is, the sober reality is, it probably will. It may or may not come to the beatings and torture that the early church faced or that our brothers and sisters in other countries face today. But it can affect how you do business. It can affect whether or not you're allowed to do business. It can express itself in many ways. So the first way Jesus mentioned was when they revile you. And then they will persecute you. And the next one is one we probably are more familiar with. And say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake. This one's more subtle. It's like reviling you, except this one is usually done behind your back. It's usually be done when you're not around. Doesn't have to be overtly abusive. It just has to be false, a lie. This is about direct misrepresentation of the facts of who we are and what we believe. Some of the questions and some of the conclusions that people come to in their own thinking. Well, since we stand against same-sex marriage, we must hate the people who stand for it. Since we stand for the life of the unborn, we must hate women. Since we pray for the safety of law enforcement, we must stand against groups that don't. Words and ideas get twisted and turned around. This is the day we live in. And many believe, and I happen to agree, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. So I've discussed why we get persecuted. And I've discussed how we can get persecuted. 
The final question I want to deal with today is what should our response be? Many will immediately say we should respond in love, and that's good. Many will devise specific strategies for being able to confront and respond and counteract, and, and some of them are civically minded with regard to voting, and that's good. Many will create situations where we can return to those what they dish out to us. Let me be clear, that's not good. However, this passage in Matthew chapter 5 gives us what our very first response should be. When we face persecution, when we face unfair treatment, when we're mistreated for the gospel's sake, Jesus was clear. Rejoice. We are to rejoice. Essentially, and it's not going to make sense to the world, and let's be honest, it won't make sense to our physical flesh either. We're to be happy about it. Now, when you get a raise at work, you're happy. When you get a good report from the doctor, you're happy. When you pass an important exam, you're happy. This is all because these things are essentially good news. So you rejoice. And Jesus is telling us to face these things, to face persecution in our initial response, which will then feed and influence all other responses, is to rejoice. To be exceedingly glad. Now we need to understand, if when you face persecution, and let's, we all know it's when, not if. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to rejoice. That doesn't mean we just sit there and take it. It doesn't mean we roll over and become doormats. We can and should come up with ways to correct wrong impressions. We should and must come up with ways to be able to answer the questions as to what is the hope that rests within us. We should and make it clear to people that we don't hate anyone. But Jesus said experiencing these things, these forms of, of persecution, is a reason to rejoice. Lord, what are you saying? One example is I could simply continue to moan and complain about how my core beliefs are considered hate speech. Or the example that Jesus gave, I could remember that I'm in good company. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before them. Be happy about persecution. That's going to get a lot of people shouting amen. That's going to get a lot of people saying, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Try that when you're witnessing to your unsafe friends. If you come to Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. Hallelujah. They're going to think you're taking something. But Jesus was clear in Matthew 5. When you face these things, rejoice. Because the reality is, if you're not facing these things, maybe there's nothing that you're standing against. Maybe there's nothing about you that really is offensive. 
to the culture and the beliefs and the systems of this world. Now, Jesus gave two reasons why we should rejoice. I'm glad he did because I would have been hard-pressed on my own to come up with any. And the first one he gives in verse 12 is, great is your reward in heaven. Now, this isn't about just suffering now and we'll get something later. This is about choosing now a reward in your Christian life that you and I know will last. So many of the rewards people choose are going to fade away. They're not going to last. They will die with them. But we can choose a reward that will be a blessing now and it will last throughout eternity. Great is your reward in heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, a verse I'm sure you all know. For I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the first reason Jesus gave was, great is your reward in heaven. And the second reason he gave was the one I mentioned already. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. I remember being told when I was a teenager, and I know it might be difficult for anyone to think that once I was a teenager, but it was. Didn't know, and I sometimes made teenager choices, and didn't always pick the best company. And my mom was a loving, caring, compassionate woman who could in an instant become a hawk. (laughs) And she would monitor the crowds I traveled in. That is so putting it mildly. (laughs) Monitor. She would control the crowds I traveled in. Because she knew not just about my getting into trouble as they did, But the company you keep influences who you are and who you become. Jesus is saying to rejoice in this because it keeps you in good company. We can be in the company of this world or we can be in the company of Elijah. We can be in the company of this world or we can be in the company of Jeremiah. We can be in the company of this world, or we can be in the company of Isaiah. I'd rather choose good company than the nonsense company of this current day. In these times, we have become part of a witness for Jesus that began 2,000 years ago. Saints have suffered throughout the church age. We get to join with people like Martin Luther who stood up to the church of his day and said no it is by faith alone you can try and get to heaven on your works but the faith in Jesus Christ is enough to see me through and there are saints that are suffering for the gospel right now there are saints who are in prison today simply because when they were asked do you believe in Jesus they said yes and dared to have a smile on their face. And because of that, they're in prison. They are in good company. And we can be in their company as well by standing for the gospel in our day. Rejoice. 
when you face these things. James chapter 1, verse number 7, uh, uh, verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect worth, work that you may be perfected and complete, lacking nothing. Every time I read the book of James, I am immobilized by those words in verse 2. Count it all joy. I assure you yesterday, it was a lot of work for my family to set up to celebrate my son and his fiancée. But as the party got going and family and friends began to arrive, we basically counted everything all joy. The work became worth the end result. Count it all joy. And it can be work to stand as a Christian today. It can be work to stand in your place of work as a believer today. It can be work to stand for Jesus in any circumstance, in your community, with your neighborhood, with your friends, with your family. My, uh, my son, as we gathered before the food was served yesterday, my older son, and he was kind of gathering everybody together because I was going to pray over the food. And he mentioned to everybody, gave them some information where everything was, where the bathrooms were, how the food line was going to work. He said, and over there is the place where all the beverages are. And for some reason, he felt the need to let some of his friends or people know. And you'll notice over there where the beverages are, there's no alcohol. And I went, okay. So me being the quiet, passive person that I am, I piped up and said, yeah, the pastor of this church really is a pain in the neck. <laughs> there was root beer. Not any other kind of beer, but there was root beer. <laughs> I counted it all joy. Say what you want. But we can get so self-conscious, so almost self-defeating, when we think we're causing anyone any ounce of discomfort. Do you think the world feels that way about us? They sure don't. Count it all joy. We live in a time that few could have seen coming in the detail we experience today. The violence, the changing morality, wrong being called right, nothing being called wrong. Right and wrong don't even exist today. And the evil we see in so many forms. But we as a church, we as believers in Jesus Christ will stand for the truth of Jesus, as we proclaim our unyielding allegiance to the ways of the Lord. And as our world travels farther and farther away from seeing Jesus' ways as acceptable or even tolerable, there will be conflict. It would be wonderful if the, if the world that we live in, especially our American society, would open up a dictionary and truly read the definition of the word tolerate. But it clearly has not. Because we are not tolerated. We are not even completely endured. 
we are planned against and strategized against. But we will face conflict. But church, Jesus Christ is your Lord, so you are the ones who will end in victory. We will end this in victory. And part of that victory, knowing that the victory is coming, is that when it comes, we can face it with gladness. We can face persecution with joy. We can rejoice and see persecution as a gift. I've traveled to many other countries and I've shared many of those experiences. And I'll never forget the first time I was in a country that was truly oppressive to the gospel. And that was when I was in Indonesia. And I'll never forget one conversation with a pastor. It was a passing conversation. Maybe lasted a minute. We were in a room full of ministers and I was talking to a lot of people. And he said, I'm praying for the church in America. And I said, thank you, please pray for us. We need it. And he felt the need to explain the prayer he was praying. And he said, I'm praying you receive the same persecution that we do. And I got to admit, my first thought was, whoa. <laughs> Chill, bro. I mean, <laughs> but he knew something. He knew something about church history, whether he knew it or not. Church history has proven over and over again that where the church is persecuted, the church is strong. Where the church is persecuted, the church flourishes and grows. For all the persecution of the church in Indonesia, it has been for over a decade where the gospel is growing among the fastest of any nation in this planet. And you can't separate the persecution from the end result. There'll be conflict. It's also interesting to me. Now, obviously, Jesus is the master, and he was the master communicator and the master, uh, the, the master preacher. He was also the master sermon crafter, the way he put ideas together. In these passages of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, that talk really difficult things about rejoicing in the face of persecution. The verse that precedes that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I freely admit this is not easy. As I've in many messages recently, that's why we need each other. I need you to encourage me in this, and we need to encourage one another in this. So I promise to help you to remember that when you face persecution, when you face things that are not quote unquote fair, to be able to rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. And I ask you to help me to rejoice in the face of persecution. Now the reality is persecution is not fun it's not pleasant, it can be downright annoying to be someplace where if not you're being persecuted directly, the ideas that we hold sacred are being attacked. And we have an opportunity to set the scales correctly. 
but they get set correctly in a different manner when we first remember as we're in this difficult, uncomfortable, kind of awkward situation, hey, this is awesome. This is amazing. I get to rejoice and stand for Jesus. That is a blessing. That is a gift. Stand with me, please.